Let's go to uh, let's go to Second Peter. Are y'all announcement finished? You tapped out on announcements. Second Peter. There's a cool story. I know you're going, okay, well, 2 Peter. We're actually going to start in 2 Peter. I'm going to, uh, I don't know how long it's going to take. We're going to spend, we're going to cover, well, let me just tell you this. We're going to cover four verses today. So we'll see how long 2 Peter uh, takes. But we're going to go through 2 Peter. Here's the cool thing about this. I have in my office um, a board, and a board has every Sunday written on the board. And hopefully what happens is that in time of the Lord, that board gets filled in, on what's going to be taught on a certain Sunday, right? So there's the whole board, and it gives me a look of what, what we're going to go through, what's going to be the content, and I'm always going, Lord, please fill in the blanks. And up till last, well, two weeks ago, last week was flu week, so two weeks ago, uh, that board was blank for the whole semester. And it's kind of one of those, like, don't panic moments, like, Lord, I trust you, but it's blank. Lord, I know that you see that it's blank, right? <laughs> Lord, I come in here every day, and it's still blank. Like, would you write something on that board? I need some Daniel handwriting on the wall. Anyway, uh, so just going, God, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about this semester? And here's what's so cool about you guys. It's just how much I love you and appreciate you. Uh, I had a student come in, made an appointment to come and see me, and uh, sat down and went, this is really weird, uh, but... You know, when I when I pray for you and for this ministry, what I, the Lord just keeps putting Second Peter on my heart, and I'm like, yes, I'm freaking out. You know, and they're they're kind of like, what is that? Going well, that's really good because you see that blank board. Anyway, so it was cool because it was in your time spent with the Lord, and in your obedience to come and be obedient to uh, the word that the Lord had put on your heart to come and go. Hey, I feel like this is what the Lord wants us to walk through, and uh, so I'm pumped. Because we got a place to go, right? So now we're in Second Peter, uh, but but seriously, you are so much a part of what goes on here, and I I just want to tell you, um, as the Lord gives you understanding and wisdom and uh, things to pray, please be faithful to those because uh, you're a huge part of what happens uh, in this ministry. And so this is cool because this is going to be uh, really birthed from y- y'all's time with the Lord. So first, I'm sorry, Second Peter. Let's go to chapter one. You guys ready? I'm, I feel like I've done announcements way too much. Let's pray. God, uh, we welcome you as a giver of life, as the one that we love. We thank you that you're, you're not too busy or too distracted or, or too holy or removed to spend time with us. That, in fact, we read the very opposite in your scriptures, that your desire is to be with us. You're, you have created us that we connect with you intimately. You want to be in communion with us. You want to be in fellowship with us. You want to speak to us and you want to teach us how to hear you. So we welcome you here. We're grateful for your presence. And there is nothing else on the earth that could satisfy us in a deeper way than what you can give us by your spirit. God, there's no, there's no trinket, there's no, uh, there's no uh, element of food or, or water, there's, there is nothing uh, physical, there's nothing even spiritual that can satisfy us like you can satisfy us. You are the one that we want. 
And so we just pray, God, we pray because we have difficulty sometimes focusing on you. And so we pray in this room that we would focus on you, that we would see you, that we would hear you, that everything else that tries to distract us would fall away and that our ears would be pricked to the sound of your voice, to the one that we love. We just pray that we would hear you. And we ask, God, because you said that if we ask, you would give. And so we do ask that by your spirit, you would speak. We ask boldly, approaching the throne of grace, we ask boldly for a word from you. Many of us, myself included, we need to hear you. We just need to hear you speak to the depths of our heart. God, illuminate our hearts with your truth. May we be attentive to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so... Second Peter, and I know it's a weird place to start, but it's y'all's fault. So uh, we're not starting in First Peter. Blame your prayer life for that. Um, so Second Peter. So Second Peter is obviously a second letter, right? It's obviously not the first because they named it Second Peter. All right, we're here. So <laughs> this this letter was written late in Peter's life. Okay, so uh, it's thought that it was written about a year after the first with the same target audience in mind. So uh, in the in the first letter, Peter is uh, in, in fact, go there. Go ahead and go to first Peter. Let's just look at who he's specifically speaking to. This letter's uh, more specifically going to speak about being targeted uh, towards, uh, towards Jewish people who are um, exiled. Okay, so he says, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of his spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's the introduction to the first letter. That first letter, uh, though written to the same audience as the second letter, is, uh, is totally different. Well, it's, it's pretty different uh, in its purpose. That first letter, written to, uh, to believers in the dispersion, right, is, is the goal is for them to stand firm in the midst of persecution, Okay, that's the goal of the first letter. So Peter's really going to encourage them. And it's thought that these letters were written while Peter uh, was in prison. Okay, and as you know, Peter, uh, it's it's, uh, Peter was crucified. Jesus promised him this uh, this death. And I don't mean like he promised him like it was a good thing. Jesus uh, foretold this death to Peter that Peter would be uh, would be killed. Peter actually was so honored that he was crucified uh, in the same way as his Lord. And he said he looked he went, look, man, um, this is how Jesus was crucified uh, and how he was put to death. So you're going to have to do it to me upside down because I will, there's no way I'm going to share in the same uh, way. Be like Jesus in this. If you're going to crucify me, you have to do it upside down. So he went through uh, an immense amount of torture in his, in his death, but was crucified uh, in the same way uh, as, as Jesus. And this was, these letters were written in that latter time. So he's experiencing at this point, tremendous amounts, um, of tension and persecution. So he writes to that first, that first letter to this group and notice first Peter's not, uh, like a lot of Paul's letters, you know how they're written specifically to a church, right? This is written more to a wide base of people, right? 
Um, this is, he, he lists several cities there. It's written to more of a wide base of people. And he's just saying, look at me in my eyes. Stand firm on Jesus because persecution is coming. And that's really the heart of the first letter. And the heart of the second letter is similar in that he is going to encourage them to stand firm. So he's going to talk about uh, really getting uh, a firm foundation and, and footing. But he's going to talk about the need for that to happen because of false teaching. So the first letter, he's going to say, stand firm when persecution comes. The second letter, he's going to say, stand firm because many are going to come and try to dissuade you. Many are going to come with a, uh, with something that looks like the gospel with kind of a shiny trinket that they might write gospel on it, but it is not the gospel. They may talk to you about Jesus. They may lift Jesus' name up in a way, but they are not going to lift him up in the right way. They're not going to speak about him the right way. They're not going to attribute to him the things that are his. And so Peter, in this second letter, is going to say, listen, you've got to stand firm. Now, that's a little bit intimidating, right? I mean, even think about, think about our day. Think about how many, um, you know, if you were to just list, mentally list, how many opportunities are there for false doctrine? Like how many false doctrines maybe have you, have you heard, maybe you ex- have experienced, maybe been a part of, right? There is tons of opportunity in our day. There's so many different people that in different ways and by different means say they have figured it out, right? Right? So it can be a little bit intimidating to go, okay, how am I going to sort through all of the false doctrine? You with me? Like, how am I going to know which one is right? How am I going to know if somebody comes along and says something pretty close, how am I actually going to know that it's false uh, and, and stand firm in the truth? And, and Peter, uh, he lays it out pretty well. He's going to tell us, and we're going to get into the, the text here in just a second. I'm giving you just a bit of an overview. But the primary ways of not being deceived, Peter's going to tell us, or number one, is a mature understanding of Jesus from eyewitness accounts and examining the prophets. That's what Peter's going to say. The first thing you have to do, the first way that you're, not, that you're not duped is you have to have a mature and full understanding of Jesus, right? Doesn't that sound simple? How are you not going to be deceived about a false Jesus or a false ideology or false theology about Jesus? Well, you got to know Jesus. Nobody in here is going to trick me into me believing that they're my wife, right? Why? Because I know her. You with me? No amount of facts, no amount of twisted uh, you know, th- thought is going to get me to believe that, that you are my wife. Why? Because I know my wife well. And it's because I know my wife well that I'm going to be able to figure out an imposter. You ever called somebody on the phone expecting someone to answer and then somebody else answered? And it kind of makes you do a double take. You're like, wait, nobody called a landline before? Okay. Weird <laughs> I, there's moment. Okay, so that never mind. I'm not going to use the example. It doesn't work. Uh, back when I was a kid, we had landlines, um, and you called a phone, and there were like th- there could be several different people that had the opportunity to answer that phone. Right? It didn't always buzz in your back pocket. Like that's <laughs> that's not how it worked when I was growing up. And so uh, you know there would be times like I would call um, call the house. You know, and then, and maybe my sister answers, right? And I expected it to be dad. And so it's like this double take of, well, you know, you, wait a minute. That's not the voice 
I was expecting. It's a bad example, but the point is, right? The point is, Peter's going to tell us, knowing Jesus, having locked in, what is his voice? What is his character? Who is he? That's going to be one of the primary ways that we, uh, that we uh, refute false teaching. But here's the deal. He's going to tell us, and it's important for us, especially in this day to hear. He's going to say, how do we do that? How do we gain a true and mature knowledge of Jesus? Well, listen, there's people that were there and saw it and have written it down so that you know what happened, right? He's going to place a tremendous amount of weight on the eyewitness account of those that saw and heard Jesus do what he said he was going to do, right? That's going to be a huge deal because he's going to go, look, this isn't just my idea of Jesus. I saw him heal the man, right? This isn't just like what I, what I thought would be the best idea for what, what Jesus claiming to be the son of God and the Messiah should do. This is what I heard, right? This is what I heard and this is what I saw. So I'm going to write it to you so that you know the truth and you're not shaken, right? Here's the second thing he's going to draw off of. You're going to know by the eyewitness accounts and by the word of the prophets. So Peter, in the, especially in the second chapter, Peter is going to press us to know the prophetic word about Jesus. What has been spoken in the past? Because what he's going to do is he's going to go, look, what has been spoken in the past and what I've seen with my eyes are the same thing. The one that God promised us, the things that God said were going to happen when the chosen one, when the Messiah came, have happened. I saw it happen with Jesus. He's the real deal, right? So we've got to have both of those. We've got to have the promise of God that says this is who Jesus, uh, or sorry, this is who the Messiah said he was going to be. And we've got to have the eyewitness account that says, yeah, and it happened. I saw it, right? Peter's not the only eyewitness. The Gospels are littered with eyewitness accounts. Of, um, of the life of Jesus. And then he's going to add something else on. So those are like external ways. You see what I'm saying? Those are external things. How do we know? We listen to the eyewitness accounts. We know and develop an understanding of who Jesus is based on the prophetic and eyewitness accounts. But here's the second thing Peter's going to say. That's not just enough to do that. It's not just enough to have a historical understanding of Jesus. He's going to also say the way that you're not deceived is by walking in maturity according to what Jesus has said. Right? So taking what Jesus has said, the, the teachings of Jesus, the, the lifestyle that we're supposed to live, are you growing in knowledge? Are you growing in maturity? Are you growing in self-control? Are you growing in these things that Jesus said are important? Basically, are you walking with Jesus? Because if you're not walking with him and growing in depth of relationship with him, then just your knowledge about him will not be enough. Deception will come. So there's this cultivation of an internal, intimate walk with Jesus that is necessary for us in order to not be deceived. And it's the same idea that I gave you with uh, not being deceived by my wife. How do I know her so well? I didn't just study her, right? I didn't just like, you're right. I, uh, I don't just know facts about her, right? We've, we've walked together, right? We've 
gone through moments together. We've had conversations, right? We've spent time. We've been through good and tough and, right, we've, we've walked life together. It's, it's those two things, the marriage of those two things in our marriage that have allowed me to know her in a deeper way. And that's what Peter's going to say is that you've got to know Jesus by the eyewitness accounts. You've got to know the facts. You've got to know what really is said. But you also got to know him because you wake up in the morning and go, what's up, and start walking your life with him. You've got to know him because you've cultivated a relationship with him. Because when you know him, you won't be deceived. Well, if we think that we don't need this word, we're crazy. Man, the enemy would like nothing more than to water down and taint who Jesus is to the believer. If he can do that, if he can knock us off our game according to who Jesus is, then we will be ineffective. Because according to the scriptures, we are filled with the Spirit of God for one purpose, and that is to glorify Jesus. To glorify Jesus is, the, is, is why you're walking on the earth right now. You're bringing heaven on the earth by glorifying Jesus, by lifting up and exalting the one who God lifted up and exalted and said, this is the one. Salvation for everything that has ever lived, ever breathed, hangs on this man. And we've been given that ministry. And if we get tainted, if we get watered down according to who he is, if we change course, then we have departed the path and we will be ineffective. So it is vital for us in this day to heed the words of Peter um, in this letter in 2 Peter on how to stand firm um, in deception. Are you with me? So that's, that's, why we're gonna, uh, that's why we're gonna be here. That's why we're gonna talk about it. It's important. So let's start, okay? Let's start, and we're not gonna get very far. We, we're just gonna get th- through a couple of verses. So the beginning says, verse one, Simon Peter, a uh, servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the way that he introduces himself, I think, is really cool. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but what is the order? He says that his name is Simon Peter, right? He's first a servant, right? He's first a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, that word apostle, um, Paul's going to tell us, uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to speak to us about the place of an apostle in the church. That word right there, what he's referring to is, look, I was there, I'm an eyewitness, I'm, I'm like one of the guys, okay? Apostle is also a, uh, a position of standing in the church, okay? Again, Paul talks about it, and we're not going to go in and, and, and study that. But it's important that you see that Simon Peter first calls himself a servant and then an apostle, right? God has put each of us in the church to serve a function. You guys with me? He names them. Like, it is, it is organized. Like, there are, there are names and titles within ministry, the f- different functions of the church. You can read about this uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, it, is an, it is an organized and detailed structure with God has made the church. And there's, there's different titles in that. But here's the deal. All of us first are servants of Jesus. Okay? All of us first, in order to serve in our position in the church, in order for you to be who God has called you to be within the church, for you to serve in that function, you first have to have this heart to say, before any of that, before any title, I'm a servant of Jesus. That understanding, me calling myself a servant of Jesus Christ, it was what positions me to live out the place that God has put me in the church. Does that make sense? So like if we were on... Uh, talking about, we had a big win yesterday. Uh, SFA beat Sam Houston. 
right? That's good stuff. Uh, and tech one, nobody saw that, but it doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, but first, right, if you think about, we've got a, we've got a whole group um, of athletes. Let's just use our athletes. They're first, first, they're lumberjacks, right? First, that's how we designate the whole group. They're, they're lumberjacks. They wear the purple and white, right? This is the, that's who they are. At the core, that's, that's who they are. Second, they play a role. Some of them play football. Some of them play basketball. Some of them uh, do long jump and triple jump and run for ridiculous amounts of distances, and, right? They, they have functions within that lumberjack team, but first, everybody's a lumberjack. And that's what I'm saying. In order to qualify yourself to be an apostle or in order to qualify ourselves to serve of a function and a role within the church, we first have to have this heart that says, no, beyond, beyond all of that, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, right? So that's the, that's the beginning. That's how he introduces himself. He's a servant first. And he says, and I'm an apostle uh, of Jesus Christ. And then look, so he's going to, again, this is to the same group of people, but you can see how broad this, uh, this letter is. He says, to those, this is verse two, or sorry, the end of verse one, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. So, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't you want to say, probably at the beginning, if he's going to say he's an apostle, that his faith is probably a little bit, a little bit higher shelf than mine, right? It's probably a little bit more elite, a little bit better, right? He doesn't say that. He says, he, he levels the playing field by saying, look, to those, this is for, this is for anybody that, by, that have obtained uh, a faith of equal standing with ours. Why does he use that word equal standing? Somebody give it a shot. You guys are kind of quiet. We're going to practice question and answer. Why does he use equal standing? I wasn't kidding. <laughs> Somebody give it a shot. To those who have... T- That's right. How does that, how does that uh, phrase of equal standing, how does that level the playing field? Yeah. It's available for everyone, and everyone's is the same, right? Why is everyone's the same? Look, because it says... By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's how the playing field gets leveled. He says, look, this is for everybody, everybody that has received faith. Look, none of you did it because you earned it. None of you did it because you were better than somebody else. We, all of us, all of us received it, obtained it by the righteousness of of Jesus Christ. So it absolutely levels the playing field. Your faith is of equal preciousness and of value and worth as mine because it's been given by the only one that could give it. It's been given by Jesus. It rests on the work of Jesus. He says in verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I think it's interesting there. That he says grace and peace are multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now that word knowledge, don't get it twisted. It includes an academic knowledge. It includes an understanding, but it's more holistic in its use. 
It's knowledge like I know somebody. To know somebody, as we were talking about earlier, means there's facts and figures that you know about them, but it also means relational. But here's, here's what's cool. Grace and peace get multiplied as we know Jesus. Isn't that simple? It says grace and peace multiplied to you. In the knowledge of Jesus. I just want to, I want to promise you that that is an absolute reality of the kingdom. That as we press in and know Jesus, grace and peace get multiplied. And they continue to get multiplied as long as we're pressing into Jesus. Because he's endlessly deep and endlessly full of grace and peace. But those things only come as we know him. He doesn't say grace and peace to you as you store up and gain all that you can store up and gain. He said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus uh, a knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. All right. Now these next verses, though, we could probably spend lots of time on them. I don't. I just feel like today the the need here is to hear them in simplicity. Okay. So I'm going to do very little more than just reading these next verses. We're going to spend time on two verses here, but I'm not going to do a ton more than read them. These have got to be two of the most Loaded verses in all of Scripture, right here. Okay, so you got to hear the introduction first. The introduction is to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing of ours. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now listen to these very first words in verse three. He's just talked about uh, knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's read that again. And I want, I want you to understand that if those first two verses did anything, they ought to have put us, most all of us, on the same page. If you sit here in this room and have believed on Jesus for salvation, what Peter says is you have faith of equal standing. So we're all, look, he's, he's going, look, we're all in here the same. This applies to all of us to whom that is true, Right? If that is true, if you believed in Jesus, if you have this faith that he's given by his righteousness, if that is true, then listen to these next verses. If that's true, then his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things by his divine power have been given to us for what? Life and and godliness. Man, what are we without? Man, when we have we have received this precious gift of faith by the righteousness of God, not by our works so that no one can boast, right? We've been given this gift by grace we've been saved, and now in my hands, in, in and of myself, his divine power has given to me all things that pertain to life and godliness. He couldn't have covered it in a broader stroke. He left no room in any of that for me to say, yeah, all things except for in this area of my life, right? He said, you've been given all things for life and godliness through 
And it's, ke- it's key that you catch this. Through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and his excellence. It's not detached from Jesus. All right, look at me. We can't go, I've been saved. God's given me all things in him, thanks. And I'm going to go and now I'm going to handle all things on my own. Those all things, all things for life and godliness have been given and deposited in the fullness of the Spirit of God that lives in you. But they're only realized and walked in through intimacy with Jesus. You with me? Look, all of it has been given to you. But, but he says, he says, right? Look at, look at the end of, the ver- of verse 3. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellent. All things of life and godliness have been given to you. But it's realized as we uh, know Jesus, as we experience him. And I, again, it's the same thing. Not just facts about him, as we walk with him. Some of you are not realizing the power and the life and the fullness that is in you because you've taken what God gave at salvation and it's not played out because you've refused to walk with him for that to happen, right? You've thought that somehow I can receive this gift and then expect to reap the benefits of this gift absent a walk with Jesus and it keeps misfiring. Well, it misfires because all of it is released in intimacy with Jesus. You with me? All things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus, right? Through the knowledge of Jesus, through knowing him is the way that these things are released and activated in my life. It's not a matter of whether God's going to give me or withhold from me. He's already given us everything. Listen, look at me. There is nothing more for him to give. How foolish of us to ask for more. Have you not looked on the cross Have you not looked on the seal that is on your heart and the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you? Why are we still asking for God to give us more? God, do more. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They're released as we pursue intimacy with Jesus. You're not going to experience all that he has given lest you give yourself to him and they'll be experienced. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's just pray and make these things, ask God to really let these land on us. God, I confess that I am. I discount and sell short what you've given, often. I ask you for more as if you've not given enough. I ask you for something different as if what you've given uh, isn't complete. God, forgive us for that attitude. God, I pray that we would see today the reality of these simple words. That your divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But God, I pray we wouldn't stop there. pray that it would be through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That we would come into the realization of all that you've given. pray that we would pursue and press our lives into you, Jesus. 
that would look on you and exalt you and lift you up. God, set us free. Set us free from our attitude that we lack and we don't have enough. God, and free us into the truth and the reality that you've given and purchased for us all things. We thank you for it. We ask that, uh, God, that you would continue, uh, God, to be kind to us and teach us about this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.